Okay, so uh, we'll, we'll get started. Um, before I start, the passage that I'm about to read from Austin a couple weeks ago was like, hey, uh, I was supposed to ask you like three weeks ago or something if you could teach on the 24th. Are you up for that? And I said, yeah, sure. And he goes, cool. Uh, it's just Matthew like 13, like halfway through the chapter, like verse 23, 24. Till the end, you can just pick whatever parable you want to teach about. And I was like, okay, cool. And then I went home and I read it and I was like, all right, I think he's messing with me. Uh, and then I came back last week and said, hey, Austin, we got we to gotta talk about what exactly you want me to teach here. And uh, Austin being Austin, he's like, no, 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 trust you, I'm going to let you do your thing. I said, no, we definitely need to sit down and talk about it. He said, okay. So we got together Monday night and we read Matthew 20, or sorry, Matthew 13, uh, verse 24 uh, is where we started. And after I read it to him, he just laughed at me at the table and was really, really happy that he had inadvertently given me this passage to uh, teach on. So let me read for you. Matthew 13, verse 24. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go out and gather them up? The slaves asked him. No, he said. When you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first, tie them into bundles, and burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through all of it. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he would not speak anything to them without a parable. So that, they, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. This is a quote from the Old Testament. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundations of the world. Verse 36. Then he dismissed the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us. He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The son of man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. And I put it down and Austin laughed at me at dinner. And you're prob you might, if you think you know why Austin laughed at me at dinner, please go ahead and volunteer that answer. Why would Austin laugh at me for having to teach on something from this passage? 
Okay, I'll give it to you. He said to me, you could pick any of the parables and teach on that parable. The problem is that four of these parables are all connected and they're told in sequence and then an explanation is given about a parable. So I can't talk about just one of the parables and I certainly can't talk about the one about the weeds without talking about the explanation. So I, had to, I have to digest the whole thing. Um, Austin laughed for a long time. The reason he kept laughing was because he knew that the easiest thing to talk about is who goes into the furnace. The next easiest thing to talk about is, is there a furnace at all? And how do you stay out of the furnace? And then there's probably like two dozen other things that you could teach on from this passage because it references so much from other places in Scripture. Um, So he laughed and was like, well, I'm really excited to see what you end up teaching about. Uh, So we're going to pause. And uh, if you wouldn't mind, please close your eyes. I just kind of want to prepare us all mentally uh, to read Scripture and meditate on it. Um, What I'd like you to pull to mind uh, in this next moment as I talk is everything that has ever been read to you from Scripture, everything that you have ever read from Scripture. And go ahead and bring to the table what you have been taught from Scripture. and what you've been taught that scripture means. So as much as you can hold in your mind at once from the creation of all things in Genesis uh, to the slavery of God's people and the rescuing of God's people in Exodus, all the way through uh, the Psalms and Proverbs, uh, the major prophets, Isaiah and Ezekiel and uh, Jeremiah, the minor prophets, um, including Daniel, especially for this passage. Uh, Into the New Testament, the story of Jesus' life and all of the teachings that Jesus teaches and all the things that he does and the people that he heals and the way that he uh, changes the places that he travels to up until his death and then his resurrection, um, the blinding and the saving of Paul and the the mission of Paul and the other apostles and disciples as they go out and they share the gospel of Jesus and they die for that gospel. Mm. And uh, as they write to the churches and as they speak revelation and as they teach and as they fight against um, and speak against various different bad teachings, just bring all of that to mind and try to hold it in mind as we go back through this passage. All right, feel free to open your eyes, and let's go back through it again. The first part, the first parable in this series is about the weeds and the wheat. The second parable in the series was about the mustard seed that grows into uh, a big plant, a big tree. And the third parable in the series uh, is about yeast that gets mixed into 50 pounds of flour. So let me read it for you again, and then I have some questions for you. <laughs> That's a lot of flour. It is a lot of flour. I'm glad that uh, I'm glad somebody recocognized that. Yeah, that's a, right? It's a lot of flour. Um, 
So he presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed weeds among the wheat, and left. When the plant sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's slaves came to him and said, Didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So, do you want us to go and gather them up? The slaves asked him. No. When you gather up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in bundles uh, to burn them, but store the wheat in my barn. He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but when grown, it's taller than the vegetables and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. And he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until it spread through all of it. The main question that we have to wrestle with is why are these parables told so quickly, back to back to back? There's no interruption. Jesus simply tells a parable, then another, then another. So we could go through each one, and we could learn something beautiful and good from it, yes. But that's not how he told the parables. He told them in sequence and immediately after one another. So why did he do that? And I think the best question to ask is, what is a similar theme in each of these three parables? If you see anything, you don't have to have the answer, but if you see something unique or interesting, like the fact that it's a lot of flour for yeast to work through, just go ahead and throw that out. We'll group think this together. They're all three about like sewing or the making of food. Okay, so they all are about producing life. They're producing life or growth. Okay, that's that's a good one. And that kind of ties into the other theme. It all starts with something small and then gets like grows to something bigger. Good. Another good one that ties into this other theme. Yeah, don't let them grow. Yeah, let the weeds grow to the end and then we'll deal with it then. Okay. How long does it take for wheat to grow? or for yeast to work through 50 pounds of flour, or for a mustard seed to go from that teeny tiny seed into a big giant tree? A long time. That's a great answer, because I don't know any of the specific amounts of times that it takes, but it takes time. And that is one of the, I think that's one of, if not the main theme that Jesus is trying to get across here as he talks about the kingdom, is waiting. You have life, coming into existence and growing, and that takes time. Um, I don't know about you, I have uh, lived in several different places and met a lot of people, and the number one question I get from believers and non-believers 
who want to know about God is, why doesn't he do more? Why doesn't he fix the problems right now? Why doesn't he fix world hunger? Why do we have to have Miss America say that? Why are there wars? Why did COVID happen? Why did COVID kill X, Y, and Z person in my life? Or for some even church folks, when I was working at the Christian bookstore in New York, why did COVID essentially erase my church from the map? Because it was all elderly people. Why does it take so long? Uh, Or why doesn't God take care of these things right now? And that's something we have to wrestle with. And I think it's pretty clear that that is not a new question. That is a question that has been around for a long time. And holding in mind all the things you know about Scripture, be reminded that these are a people that have not had a major or minor prophet in 400 years. They have not had anyone who can rightly claim to speak uh, on God's behalf to God's people. They are wondering if they've been abandoned. Some of them believe they've been abandoned. Um, So they would be asking the question, when is God going to do this, and why hasn't he done it yet? Why hasn't he saved our people from the Romans? Why hasn't he gotten rid of all the bad Jews that side with the Romans? Why isn't this fixed yet? So with that perspective, we can go back in to the first of the three parables, and you see the whole thing with uh, the, the wheat and the weeds. And then you can look at those, uh, the slaves saying, do you want us to go out and gather them up? They're ready to go right now. Let's go out there. Let's cut down the weeds. Let's cut them out. Let's burn them. That way all we have is that wonderful golden wheat. And the master says, no, don't do that yet. You're probably going to ruin the wheat too. The in the moment for the audience that this is being presented to, the lesson for them is, no, we're not going to wage a violent overthrow of the Romans. We're not, that's not what I'm here for. I'm not here to take up arms against the weeds, the Romans, and the bad Jews that side with the Romans. Because if we do that, it'll be total war, lots of people will die, and a lot of the wheat will get cut down too. That is the most immediate, applicable understanding of that statement. And many of the people in the crowd would have been like, ah, I see what this guy is saying. I get it. Okay, that's not who, the, that's not who this person is. And then he immediately moves into these two much shorter parables about a big plant that serves as a house for a bunch of birds, uh, the mustard seed. And then the next parable, uh, the yeast that moves through the flour and makes a lot of bread, presumably for people to eat. Uh, A lot of life, a lot of shelter, basic needs that are re-taught as spiritual needs. So not just physical ones, but spiritual ones. You, as the people of God, will have shelter with God. You'll have provision from God. That is coming. It's here and it's coming. I'm here, so it's here. More is to come from me, so this kingdom is coming and going to be more fulfilled and bigger and better and there'll be more bread. Um, That is the imagery 
that Jesus is trying to communicate to the crowd here. And this is where it turns out that it's really good he's speaking in parables, and in a way, by explaining it, we're kind of taking away from it, is to talk about that sort of thing, you have to use imagery, you have to use parables, because words don't do it justice. How do you talk about shelter with God by saying shelter with God? It doesn't come across the same as saying, it's like a giant plant where all the birds can come together and have fun. If you've ever watched Little Sparrows, all they do is play. That's what Jesus is talking about. Those kind of birds in the big plant having a blast, living life, and being safe. Um, And if you've ever been really, truly hungry, bread is an incredible thing to have. So being told, God's going to provide for you, is like, oh, that's great, good to know. Being told, you will have bread to eat, even when you you feel like you're the most hungry that you've ever been, that's a different image. And some of these people would have understood that. Some of them would not. But the image that Jesus is communicating to his people here is the kingdom is good, it's for you, and it's coming. But you have to wait. And you have to be patient. Not inactive, but patient. Because God is not doing it all at this exact moment. A lot more has to be done. Um, Now, a group that pretty clearly did not understand the last two parts of this three-part parable are the disciples. And we know that because they do not ask about the bread or the mustard seed. All they care about is the weeds and the wheat. Mostly they care about the weeds. How do we get these weeds out of here? Can you explain that one to us? Because it sounded like you said we're not going to wage a violent revolution against the Romans, and that's what we're all kind of here for. So can you explain that one to us, Jesus? And this is how that conversation goes. So Jesus dismisses the, the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain the, explain the parable of uh, the weeds in the field to us. And he replied, before we get started here, um, I, very, I always associate with the disciples because I always ask the wrong question first. Um, and the wrong question here is them kind of saying, you said we're not going to wage the violent revolution against the Romans, why not? That's, that's kind of what they're asking. And there's probably a little bit of the more deeper theology here um, that they're, that they're referencing and that we in an American church, uh, in the American church, like a greater church, always ask is like, how does salvation work? Who gets in and who's going to burn? And that is not the question that Jesus is asking us to ask, right? He gives them an answer, but it is kind of a non-answer. And uh, we'll get into that a little bit. So explain the parable of the weeds in the field to us. Also, they don't even ask about the wheat. All they care about is the weeds, (laughs) Um, which uh, I just noticed that and it made me laugh because, man, yeah, we get it wrong. And they did too, which is encouraging because, you know, Jesus liked them a lot. Uh, He replied, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed. These are the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
the harvest is at the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their Father's kingdom. Anyone who has ears should listen. So I have a question for you about this little passage. What is interesting or strange from this little response that Jesus gives? Anything that you see that's interesting or strange or that jumps out to you in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, he like breaks down the parable. Look at the very last sentence. Anyone who has ears should listen. That is a line that Jesus uses over and over and over again whenever he tells a parable. It is not a line that he uses whenever he directly explains something. So this is where we kind of, if you this is where we kind of get into uh, a little bit of like uh, inception level of parables is that he this is billed as an explanation to the disciples, but really he's kind of giving them another parable and trying to let them figure it out. And that's where we find ourselves, because this is the part where we could teach probably a dozen different sermons. There is a place where I definitely heard taught where it's like, hey, you better be good, and you better not be bad, otherwise you're going into the fire, which is obviously hell. Except that it's not obvious, because Jesus does not say hell. He doesn't say uh, sheol. He doesn't use any of the direct references to Uh, or metaphorical references to hell. And the reference that he actually uses comes from Daniel, the blazing furnace. Only bad people get thrown into the blazing furnace. It says it right here. Except in Daniel, it wasn't the bad people that went into the furnace. It was the good people. So that's confusing. Um, The Son of Man reference is is another reference to Daniel. Um, where Jesus is kind of like talking about himself, but he's not exactly talking about himself. He's kind of trying to let the disciples, you know, they're still figuring all this stuff out. So there's a place you could go with this passage where you talk about right and wrong and the people that are going to hell and the people that aren't. And then there's a place where you could look at this passage and you can say, well, furnaces are used for purifying things, so maybe the lawless things, or sorry, the, 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 the lawless people, maybe they go into the furnace, they get purified, and then they come out, and then they're good. And the reason you could go there is because all of this is apparently happening within the kingdom, right? If you look at verse 41, the Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather from his kingdom, so from the place that's totally within his domain of control, everything that causes sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teesh. teeth, not teesh, teeth. Then the righteous, so it's not the bad people go away, it's all of these things are happening in sequence, 
right? So you go into the furnace and then the righteous, which could mean all the people that didn't go into the furnace. It could mean all the people that went into the furnace and got purified and came out. We don't know. So this is the part of the passage where it's really, really hard because Jesus gave an answer to his disciples, but he did not give a direct one because he wanted them to figure some things out. So as you read through it, you may get focused in on different particular parts, and you could certainly learn something from that. I can only go into the part that drew my eye. And the part that drew my eye is towards the end. It's verse 42. Uh, They will throw them into the blazing furnace, and this is the part that stood out to me, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus uses this phrase a lot too. And it's a super fascinating one to me because if I was in a blazing furnace, one, I wouldn't be able to weep because my tears would be boiled away, so that's weird. It doesn't make any sense. And two, I wouldn't be gnashing my teeth. I'd probably be screaming at the top of my lungs as I fried. So what does this phrase mean? Because it doesn't seem to mean what we often say it means. It doesn't seem to mean someone is being tormented or tortured or burned or whatever in any context. Weeping and gnashing of teeth is a very particular sound. It's a very particular feeling. Most of us have probably felt that being relatively older adult people. I know I have. Um, And there's a kind of pain that goes with that feeling, the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. But it's not necessarily one that is caused by physical torment. It's usually psychological torment. For me, and this might be different from y'all, it might not be, I don't know. Uh, For me, weeping and gnashing of teeth is most closely associated with uh, the feeling of regret. So knowing, knowing that I should have done something but did not might later cause me to have that feeling of weeping and gnashing of teeth where like my jaw is locked and I've got you know, tears in my eyes and my chest is tight. And for a second you go, uh, is this what it feels like to have a heart attack? No? Okay, I'm good. All right. I'll keep going with this feeling of tightness and grief. It, it's like this, uh, it's this feeling of intense pressure. Um, that is what weeping and gnashing of teeth feels like to me. Now to be really specific, I don't have that feeling about things that I'm not sure about. Right? So if I'm not sure that I should go to a place and then I don't go to that place, I don't feel the weeping and gnashing of teeth later. It's only when I'm truly, absolutely certain that I should do a thing and I fail to do it, or when I'm truly, absolutely certain that I shouldn't do a thing and I choose to do it anyway. In those two instances, I will feel later that weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oftentimes, after that weeping and gnashing of teeth, I have learned a lesson and I don't make that mistake in the same way a second time. So, 
I don't know if that relates to y'all at all. I don't know what weeping and gnashing of teeth feels like to you. Um, But that is what it feels like to me. That's what I think Jesus is trying to get at, is this sense of not doing what we know to be the right thing to do or purposefully doing things that we know to be the wrong thing to do. Basically, choosing the incorrect path even when we have all the knowledge we could possibly have about which path is right. We choose the wrong one. And so then, I had to look at, as I was crafting this sermon, I had to say, okay, that's what it says, that's what I'm like, meditating on. That's what's drawing my attention. And then Jesus is talking about life and the kingdom coming into growth and providing shelter and food and overcoming the world, so to speak, right? That's the feeling that you get of God's kingdom. It is this thing that grows and spreads, and it is slow, but it is unstoppable. And eventually, all that's left is God's kingdom. So that's what he's talking about. But every time I read through this passage, the weeping and gnashing of teeth is what drew my attention. And I had to try and reconcile those two. And here's where I found the overlap. Um, If I know what it means to be a citizen of God's kingdom, then I need to try and do that. I need to love my neighbor. I need to be generous and charitable. I need to be kind and good. I need to be self-disciplined. That's what I need to strive for. And what I don't need to be is a lot of other things um, that the world has taught me, that I've grown up being taught that I should be. Uh, I have to leave those things behind. And that process is probably going to involve some weeping and gnashing of teeth as I realize that this is not meant to be part of me. And somewhere along the way I knew that and I kept going because we are creatures of habit. So I have to leave that behind and I have to weep and I have to gnash my teeth and feel that tightness like I'm being crushed under the weight of my willfully chosen uh, you know, wrongness. Um, and again, I want to emphasize At times where I didn't know, I don't feel the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, It's only when I really know that I've made a mistake on purpose. So I guess it's not a mistake. I I did the wrong thing on purpose that I feel that weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, I guess what I'm getting at is the weeping and gnashing of teeth is something that is part of, the, it's part of the process, I think, of becoming a citizen of God's kingdom. So you have to weep, and you have to be crushed for the things that you did that were wrong, and you did them on purpose, knowing that they were wrong. And the things that you didn't do that were right, and you willfully chose not to do them, even though you knew it was the right thing to do. 
you have to grieve that and learn from it and be part of this ever-growing, ever-expanding, beautiful kingdom of God that's made more beautiful every time somebody weeps and gnashes their teeth and leaves behind part of who they were and part of their you know, way of thinking and way of choosing that wasn't of God. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in their father's kingdom. And when we think of the sun, you know, we think of this nice, warm, comforting thing. Uh, there in Israel, Middle East, the sun's very hot. So think of like the Texas July midday, not midday, two to three in the afternoon sun. It's definitely warm. Some would say that it's scorching. But one thing that it is, is unavoidable. Um, you can't not know that the sun is out. Even with blackout curtains, you've got that bright outline, right? The sun is out. It can't be ignored. You can be in the shade, but it's there. And your AC is working overtime to try and keep you cool. You know the sun is there. That is the image that I want you to have of when Jesus says, then the righteous will shine like the sun. The citizens of God's kingdom, as they grow and mature, you will be unavoidably uh, just vibrant and beautiful and broadcasting God's goodness and grace and love. It will be unavoidable to the point where in other places in Scripture, Jesus says they will try to kill you for it because they can't avoid it. And they don't want to deal with that level of grace that overcomes uh, vengeance. And they don't want to deal with that level of love that overcomes the hatred that makes them feel so good. So they'll try to kill you for it. But they can't avoid it. And that is the image that we're moving toward in God's kingdom. The human race vibrantly reflecting the fullness of who God is um, to each other and glorifying him in that way and honoring him and enjoying his presence just straight on with him, right? Just directly enjoying his presence and also enjoying his presence from all of our brothers and sisters uh, and friends and family and neighbors who are reflecting and broadcasting his goodness. Um, so now we'll do communion.